and I can't find a secondary usually when I propose this, but I don't care. I don't need a second. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. Anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. First things first, Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Responsibility Rule 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the legal services performed by other lawyers. My name's Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. I have my partner in crime, Paul Ripp, here with me today. How you doing, Paul? Good, good. Representing the Ripp Report. Um, and so, Reigns is MIA. I've checked all the jails and morgues, so that <laughs> at least that's a good, that's a positive. Actually... He's got whatever's going around, however that, however you define that. So I think it's a sinus infection. He sounded worse than normal given our technical difficulties. So um, we're going to do a little movie magic for you, and uh, we're going to let you watch a YouTube video, and we'll come back and comment on it. Um, and this is a follow-up to the uh, our uh, story last week about the five dead in the pursuit on I. 10 uh, where a uh, uh, sheriff's deputy was in pursuit going the wrong way on the interstate so uh, roll that for us nick that high-speed chase took place despite Baldwin County Sheriff's Office policy that prohibits chase, that is, unless it's a last resort. Our investigative reporter, Brendan Kirby, getting a copy of the Sheriff's Office chase policy. And Brendan, the department's standard operating procedure actually cautions against chasing drivers who have committed minor offenses. That's right, Lenise. According to this three-page policy, deputies should only chase suspects when they pose an immediate risk to the public. Now here's an animation showing how the chase unfolded yesterday. It started on I-10 near the Loxley exit, went to the Wilcox exit where the driver got off the interstate and then got back on heading west. The driver would eventually make a U-turn and started driving the wrong way in the westbound lanes and collided head on with that SUV. The chase went about 14 miles. Now as for the Sheriff's Office pursuit policy, it prohibits deputies in unmarked vehicles, which this one appears to be, from chasing a motorist for the the purpose of catching someone who has committed a traffic or misdemeanor offense. And the policy instructs deputies to call off a pursuit if continuing it would jeopardize public safety. Baldwin County Sheriff Hoss Mack says the deputies are required to consider speed, traffic conditions, weather, and other factors when determining whether to chase a vehicle. Tom Gleason, a retired law enforcement officer who now serves on the board of an advocacy group called Pursuit Safety, tells me that police should be even more cautious continuing to chase a vehicle that has moved into the other lane of traffic. Our policy was when they start endangering the public and it becomes more dangerous to the public than the outcome of apprehension, then you discontinue the pursuit. Now, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, chases by state and local law enforcement agencies resulted in more than 6,000 fatal crashes across the country from 1996 to 2016. Reporting live from the newsroom, this is Brendan Kirby, Fox 10 News. So, Paul. Yes. Damn the Torpedoes by Rob Holbert. Uh, right. Uh, uh, Rob's article in this uh, week's Lanyap Hoss t- 
tight-lipped-in tragedies. Of course, that's our sheriff from Baldwin County, Hoss Mack. Uh, imagine if your father or brother were driving on a trip somewhere along the way, and in a place called Baldwin County, Alabama, they died after being hit by a car that was being chased down the wrong way on you know, on I-10 by sheriff's deputies. If you were a family member of one of the three people in the car that got killed, that father, son, and your child was incinerated in that fiery crash, you'd want to know some of the answers. Or let's try if your son was driving down I-10 in a place called Baldwin County, Alabama, and had an accident in which his car left the roadway, and somehow, short time later, he was shot five times with a high-powered rifle by sheriff's deputies because they thought the fanny pack he had was a weapon. Now, you know, it's easy enough. Uh, police have a hard enough job, uh, and they have to, you know, be extremely cautious, but there's no answers to any of these questions. The uh, first guy, uh, Victor, the one that uh, was shot by the police, uh, the body cam footage was not released, and he was, and he was killed. Now, Lanyap made a open records request for the footage, but it wasn't supplied. And when body cam, let's footage, talk about that real quick. All right, all right. So you've heard me talk about the major crimes unit, right? And the theory behind it is we have the, these seasoned detectives ready to go at a moment's notice if there's a homicide or whatever. They can go in, they can swoop in, take over the investigation regardless of the jurisdiction. Okay, right. Well, the problem is they also are the agency that investigates any officer-involved incident, okay? Correct. So when the Lanyap sent a subpoena for this, he sent it to the sheriff. So guess what? Guess how one of our local judges legitimizes the MCU by saying service of the sheriff is not good enough. You must serve the major crimes unit. Uh, that came from the Baldwin County Kangaroo Courthouse? No, I mean, it came from <laughs> Judge Taylor. He's our presiding judge. Uh, but, you know, all these judges need the sheriff's help to get reelected. Right, right. The sheriff, right. The sheriff in I Baldwin, follow it. The sheriff in Baldwin County is uh, the, uh, what would you say, the strongest political person I, in the I've uh, been telling you, it county. is because of the Constitution of 1901, if you want to keep poor whites and blacks in their place you make you create an executive branch position that is the, you know who is also the head of law enforcement and you put them in every county in the state and that's how you control things that or historically you know, it, well that or it ends up in court now you know uh sheriff mack is not wanting to release anything anymore and doesn't give any questions so now it's headed to court now the victor's family is suing uh, Baldwin County uh, Sheriff's Office, and I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if the other people that were killed in the other incident don't sue as well. Well, and just like this video that we watched a few minutes ago with the uh, showing the black SUV going the wrong way on I-10, I'm fairly certain I've read this before. It wasn't in this particular article, but there were other people stopped on the interstate that shot cell phone video of this. Mm-hmm. And I think it was collected by the MCU. And this is a uh, undercover police car, so there'd be some, certain people would be watching this chase, not knowing that this was a uh, police officer or Baldwin County Sheriff. 
All right, Paul, move on. Let's talk about uh, what's going on in Fairhope and their new 2020 brochure. This is the brochure. If you live in uh, Fairhope, you should go by City Hall, pick one up, find out exactly uh, what's going on in your city. It's very, very informative. You can pick it up right there at City Hall. Sorry. (laughs) I knew that throwing (laughs) the crap on the floor wasn't going to (laughs) work. Uh, so let's go to uh, Lanyap Review. The legislative session has begun. Notable bills that peeve me to no end. Vaping or smoking with someone who appears to be under the age of 14 in your car. And this, along with the infantile seatbelt laws, um, along with uh, if you appear to have this thing in your hand while you're driving... Uh, they pull you over and say, well, it appeared to me you were texting while driving. And, of course, this is also that they can pull you over, call the drug dog, put a stinky dog through your car, and otherwise harass law-abiding citizens. Um, at least that's my perspective on it. Uh, you know, my grandmother, when she used to load up seven grandkids and go to the store, we'd all get in the station wagon and we'd Superman jump from the way back into the back seat and hopping all over the car and she's smoking in there. I mean, you know, she, the, the worst person in the world was my loving grandmother who drove all us kids to the store while smoking a cigarette. And it, now we want to make that the business of the police. That just blows seem, my mind. That seems a little bit of a stretch for real. Well, and so here's something that you need to know if you get pulled over. The Supreme Court has said that it cannot take that officer any longer. He can't detain you any longer than it took for him to write you the ticket for which you've been pulled over for, right? Mm-hmm. So unless they have reasonable suspicion, you don't have to let them search your car. Um, you know, they can search your wingspan for their safety or whatever, but that's extreme too. Um, anyway, just look into it, uh, know your rights. Don't be a smart aleck. Don't do anything stupid. Be courteous and, um, but you know, stand your ground. You don't have to let anybody search your car. Well, if you said that, uh, if you told him, no, you couldn't search a car, how do you know he's not going to just say, okay, uh, you stay here and. Well, my daddy got pulled over because he had two blue barrels. He was going to Atmore to get some feed, uh, some seed to we're going to plant out at the farm in Phillipsville. And the deputy pulled him over and said, where are you going? He said, really none of your damn business, but uh, I'm going to the co-op to buy some. You know, what are you doing with these blue barrels? Well, what, the, what, what does that got to do with anything? Because <laughs> you're hauling blue barrels. You must be cooking meth. Moonshine. I don't know. I mean, it's just like it's just out of control with law enforcement in Baldwin County, and that, and I'll I'll leave it at that. And our legislators who pass these laws under under the guise of safety, it's just real disingenuous, in my opinion. Um, another bill is proposed that will um, make the state school board appointed as opposed to elected. And, of course, the state school board members have already said if the law is passed, they'll file a lawsuit against uh, the the state. Right. So what do you think about that? I think it's great to have elected everybody if we could. I mean, I know there's some uh, constraints on that. Not everybody – not every public servant can be an elected official – but certainly a position 
like this, all those positions need to be accountable to the people, not just the governor. Right. 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 Um. All right, Paul. Were you aware that uh, the Bass case has been moved? Uh, this is uh, this is related to uh, the fabled straw man saga that we've been going through for. Um, people and meet these people and talk to these people yet we've treated them poorly which i think is i find offensive and i take personally god i love this thing <laughs> so yeah the straw man so um so judge norton recused himself after having made all the decisions in the case of substance right right, right. so now it's gone to judge stankowski who the first day in the courtroom and, and by the way will chasen has is no longer the plaintiff's attorney there's a new attorney in it, and i can't remember who it is because i don't know him personally but he gets in there and the judge says to everybody if anybody thinks i have a conflict speak now right 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 so um i, I guess we're over that hump if anybody thought he had a conflict, and I and I think the the new attorney from his bass had asked for some time to respond to that. Um, yeah, I think kind of put the uh, guy on the spot. You know, you I think what's interesting in this case, of course, this is the straw man case that we talked about. The plaintiff in the case is Philip Bass. All right, so let's let's walk back through this. All right, Mister Bass is approached by. Clarence Burr. Clarence Burr. Baldwin County Sewer Service. David Delaney. Along with our former county commissioner. county commissioner Tucker Dorsey, who was the straw man, and they had just purchased his plant, small package plant that was operating down at Fort Morgan from him a few years before. Correct. So then they go to him and say, "Look, we have an opportunity where you can make three hundred grand. We want you to put up half the money for the property, which is two point four million." It turns out. The transaction happened. The only money that changed hands with the property owner was the $2.4 million that Mr. Bass put up. Right. Mr. Delaney and Burke put up no money for the purchase. And where the straw man comes in is that Tucker Dorsey's roommate from the University of Georgia shows up, poses as the – well, he actually executes the – sales agreement option with the landowner, and then they have a second closing – which I don't know how this couldn't be fraud. They have a second closing with a second HUD showing that the property's actual value is double at what fo- at what fo- they actually paid for it. Four point eight million. So it goes from two point four million, uh, Mr. Bass paid, which was the price, but they alleged that the total amount was four point eight million. Right. Now, so now what are they saying the now, appraised value is? Now the attorney uh for Penstar Penstar told uh Now who is that? That's uh, Larry Sutley. And what do we know about Larry Sutley? Uh Larry Sutley Orange Beach is Orange Beach, right? Yeah. Right. And, he went to jail with Russo. Oh, that's correct. Yes, right. I forgot that. I forgot that. Mm-hmm. Uh that was back in 06. And I, I guess think. he's had his civil rights restored and got his law degree back. Well, this is Alabama, right? Uh, but anyway, now uh, he's telling the judge that the um, uh, they want to attempt to market the property for at least six months, and the appraised value is one point four million. And the Delaney's in this case are represented by who? Um, 
let's see, Delaney's. Uh, Danny Blackburn. Danny Blackburn, right. And right. they were formerly the county attorneys also. And Mr. Delaney's always claimed that he didn't know these particulars that uh, about the straw man and all of that. He's still saying he didn't know anything about that. But one of, one of the things that I That find, sounds likely. Wasn't he the managing partner of the LLC? Correct, correct. Uh but, and there were and there were a lot of things that came out in discovery in this case about who is actually the majority shareholder in Baltimore County Sewer Service LLC, which is another reason that the Public Service Commission ought to be down here making sure they're financially viable. Of course, based on my calculations from 2010, how many customers did they have before they took control of the county commission in 2010? I'm not sure. Well, now they got 29,000. 29,000? Customers. Yeah. So let's just say they added 10,000 customers. With no regulation. At $3,500 a lick. For, right. Well, there there is regulation. No. If, if it's available in front of your house, it's compulsory that you connect to it. Well, right. Other than that, they haven't acted on any, anything that the, the law would allow them to regulate under that constitutional amendment. And here we go back to the Mr. Magooness of it. Oh, my goodness. If we didn't have a constitutional amendment saying that there was some other way that we were going to regulate it, well, then the Public Service Commission would already be doing it. Right, right. And one of the reasons that, uh, you know, Norton had a uh, conflict of interest uh, in a statement of economic interest, just what I find real interesting, with the Ethics Commission, uh, he indicated uh, – that his former law partner, Brian Britt, in the form of referral fees, uh, Mr. Norton, Judge Norton, was receiving quite a bit, totaling ten to $50,000 between 2014 and 2016, which escalated to 50000 and 150000 in 2017 and 2018, meaning he could have been paid anywhere from dollars to $450,000. Now, he nor Mr. Britt have ever explained where those fees directly came from. And uh, I wonder if authorities uh, read Lanyap. They should be. Let's switch gears, go to economic development news. This also has to do with development, and we have a short video. I would have been, uh, it's kind of like when I walked in, when I saw this video, it was kind of like the expression on people's face when I showed up at that damn chamber after hours with Paul Rip. Mm -hmm. So uh, run this, and and, uh, we'll come back and talk about it. Baldwin County is one of the fastest growing counties in the state and keeping up can be a challenge. There has been new school construction from Bavonette to Orange Beach over the last year and still a lot going on. Baldwin County School Superintendent Eddie Tyler and local developer Nathan Cox are here to tell us about a plan they say is going to help keep up with the growth. Y'all, good morning. Thank good you morning, for being morning. here. Thank you for having us. Well, first of all, Baldwin County has been growing and continues to do so. A lot of that is attributed to the great schools. Well, we want to thank so, Sarah. I mean, uh, I've been back five and a half years, and since we've all been back together, uh, our mission is Academics Leads, and our board has been true to that. They've allowed us to grow the academics and the success in Baldwin County, and of course, we have a great partner here in Nathan and uh, his company, and so the health of Baldwin County school system goes the growth, goes the quality of life, and great place to raise a family. So we're very proud of what we're doing. And growth is a good thing. So we just have to figure out what to do with it in some cases, right? Yes, yes, Gro- growth is good. We're not opposed to growth. 
We love growth. <laughs> uh, we want people to come. We want them to be involved in our school system uh, and the quality of life, the great things in Baldwin County. But unless we have a voice as a school system on how the growth affects our building plans and overcrowded classrooms and portables on campuses, uh, the quality of education uh, will falter, and we don't want that to happen. I love growth, or we love growth, or growth is good. I couldn't actually hear what you guys heard, trappings of the new facilities. But um, so let's talk about the Golden Triangle here for a minute. Do you remember the Golden Triangle, Paul? Right. All right. So the Golden Triangle, um, no, that's the mega site. <laughs> the golden, the golden triangle is um, the property between. No, that's the dice triangle. Um, <laughs> I give. Um, let's see. Mister Cox and Benchmark Homes are putting in many, many of the 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 residential construction going on between the split of 31 and 59. Um, if you've been watching for a while, you know where we're talking about. Um, I believe, what was the total residential? 13,000? Right. Um, and in that master plan, they have um, a place for a school, a place for a firehouse. And, um, of course... The reason that nothing has ever been built on this property and the reason that the roads go around it, the, the reason that the 59 and 31 split there is that's the headwaters of Fish River. Mm -hmm. Just like McCurt the headwaters of McCurtain's Creek that they just went through on the mega site. Um, so anyway, it looked to me like this is another Spanish Fort school. If you've ever been down Jimmy Faulkner Drive, and uh, Tom Granger can tell you what happens when you stick your head up and and say you're not in favor of a public project that everybody's behind. Our former uh, county engineer lost his head to that one. Um, but one more time, the reason that these roads avoid that place is that it's a big wetland out in there with little branches and fingers, and it looks like the, uh, the map that I saw uh, showing the location for the school and the police station was basically unusable property. Well, that's probably why they gave it to them. Well, it, it, they haven't given it to them. It's been designated, designated. for that. Yeah. Well, remember in uh, Orange Beach, we talked about the uh, uh, property that was uh, designated for fire station and all of that. Now they're being Well, sued. and it's like Rain said, these developers aren't your friends. They want to do as little as possible and make money and get the hell out of there. You better bet and do the least amount they can do. So it sounds like... The tax man, Elliot, remember he proposed a bill whereby developers would have to, 30 days prior to final plat approval, contact the school board and give them this information. And uh, anyway, right. uh, a, a paperwork nightmare, just the kind of thing you'd expect out of the tax man. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, that bill seems to be dead, so maybe the, maybe – they decided they better start talking so that the Chris Elliott's of the world don't monkey wrench everything. <laughs> um, so now let's go take a look at the mega site video. Um, still no bites on the mega site, 
There is a sign, Paul. I know. A I have sign a picture of it, and dead gummit, I didn't get it over to Nick in time, uh, but I do have a picture of it. It's pretty pretty impressive. Looks like about thirty thousand dollars worth of fencing out there on the highway to me. Well, we've been uh, complaining publicly for years that uh, how could we have this mega site that was, I believe, originally purchased for thirty four million. And didn't even have a sign indicating where it was. So I guess they finally... They did this cool video, though. Uh, <laughs> so if you're on Mars, you, you you know where it is. But if you're driving by the damn place, it's a total mystery. And remember now, this we are going into the ninth year of the mega site. And just as last year, uh, economic development project for $7 million, is putting in some of the infrastructure, and you have to ask yourself, why in the world would you have bought this and not put the infrastructure in in the beginning? So this is about eight years late on the infrastructure. So we'll see if that does any good in trying to move that uh, site into producing something for the uh, county on that, that end of the county. Another bill that's afoot related to education, uh, they're talking about passing a bill uh, this uh, Steve Hurst from Munsford, um, so that the schools would ha- would not be able to to hold classes uh, before Labor Day, right? And classes will end the Thursday before Memorial Day. And of course, Tyler's one of these. He's he's got. I guess he's got a board that he can ride roughshod over. So he wants local control, not not state con- control. That's Baldwin County. Well, it, Paul, you know, you don't know how bad it can be. A lot of these school systems still have elected superintendents. Right. And you want right. to talk about some, uh, anyway, they about on the same level as some of these sheriffs around here as far as accountability and transparency. Right. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, my former post uh county manager up in etowah county and of course uh when i first got there u.s steel had shut down um they've goodyear tire and rubber has been on the ropes for years and last week they laid off 105 employees which takes them down to somewhere around 300 at one point they were the uh, largest employer in etowah county um, Paul, tell me, I don't like when something happens and I know nothing about it. Okay. Uh-huh. Like that scares me when, when something's so quiet and, and when it's something so huge. So if you fight, if you go down old Pensacola road, which is state route one twelve, uh, South at going Southeast out of, uh, Baymanette towards Pensacola, um, you'll get to a road on your right in the Gateswood community, County Road 87. And somewhere in that area, um, around the Sticks River Water World, uh, the Oasis truck stop exit, uh, there was a the, one of the largest private land purchases in a long time in Baldwin County, 9,000 acres. So 9,000. That's three times the size of the mega site. Yeah. So that – and, and – Anyway, we'll we'll give you a a, a little size comparison. Um, well, it's it's one of the largest uh, 
private land deals in Baldwin County involving the Bell Fountain property was recently com- uh, completed, according to Tim Harrington of Harrington Realty, who represented the sellers in the transaction. The site's portfolio includes some 9,000 acres of raw timber, as well as a section of recreational land located within the central section of the site. Per a news release prior to the sale, the acreage had remained within multiple within multiple generations of the same local family for nearly a century. The details of the deal involved offloading some 4,339 acres for around $13.1 million, with the remainder set aside and deeded in about 36 months, according to Harrington. Most of the undeveloped property is found near or around the intersection of I-10 and County Road 87. Uh, to date, the new owners have not divulged any imminent future plans uh, for the massive uh, track, so we'll have to see where it goes from there. That's a lot of land. That's a lot of land, and it's a lot of transaction for me not to know about. Yeah, <laughs> it does make you wonder when you see something like that. I mean, 100 uh, years ago, if somebody bought 9,000 acres of land, everybody it, in Baldwin County would have known about it a month before it happened. Right. We'll have to watch and see how this comes up. You know that they're going to do something with it. They're not buying it for timber, that's for sure. All right. So I want to switch gears and go to legal news. Um, the McSherry case. Oh. Do we have a, didn't we do a t shirt design for that? Do you have that? I don't know if you got that up or not. Um, anyway. So back in November, there was a uh, subpoena issued, and I filed a uh, motion to quash that subpoena. Uh, Judge Dankowski held a hearing, and, and of course, this is in the civil case, okay? Um, this is the Paula Denardi versus Ronan McSherry case. Right, where he knocked her off the bar stool. Right. and On we, video. We won't belabor this by running the video (laughs) Uh, but but yeah there's a video of it and so um we we had a hearing and um the judge issued an order and essentially he said that any materials related to any clients that i had including your you and ms denardi uh he quashed the subpoena related to that but he said alternatively the motion to quash is denied as to any requested information as it related to the Lanyap or any representatives any representatives thereof, including any employee or reporter. The Alabama Shield statute protects the newspaper as to disclosing sources and cannot be invoked by Mr. Steele in this manner. So then I go into this three-prong uh test and um which they didn't even try to meet uh i say they uh mr Pittman, and then uh, i go into the fact that this decision is going to have far-reaching consequences for all news outlets and media companies in alabama it will place a chilling effect on anyone providing information to the press and legal and the legal condition precedent that a source must be disclosed unless their information was used and published in some manner you know, what about stories that are in the works? What right. what about, so let's say uh, somebody comes to the New York Times and says, hey, I think there uh, there's a bunch of waste going on in the Pentagon. Well, they're not going to quote that guy. They're going to go quote some general. So was he a source or not? 
They didn't quote him. In Alabama, he wouldn't be considered one. Mm-hmm. So whatever three, four, or 12-pronged test that you're going to put this thing to, there need to be additional items included to protect circumvention of the Code of Alabama Section 1221-142, which is the Alabama uh, Source Shield Statute. Um, I, then I go into a bunch of First Amendment stuff that makes me sound real smart. Uh, but essentially, uh, while counsel is aware there are different evidentiary standards between discoverable evidence and what is admissible, it seems improbable that this evidence would prove to be admissible because it, because it is totally irrelevant to this action, Alabama Rules of Civil Procedure Rule 401. Any correspondence would have been after the actions of the alleged aggressor, Mr. McSherry, the resulting injuries to the alleged victim, Ms. Denardi, and his being charged by the police with a crime. Right? right. So all, all that stuff would have happened way before... I may or may not have sent an email to the Lanyap about it, and, this, and only the Lanyap can invoke that. And this case is like uh, eighteen months old already. On a um, this just started out as an assault on video, and here we are eighteen months into it, and the uh, uh, opposing attorney is suggesting that there's some broad conspiracy against Mr. McSherry. Uh, when Mr. McSherry should be held uh, responsible that, for his own actions. And it must include the 1931 city council of the city of Fairhope <laughs> because they're the ones that adopted the criminal code and said you can't do this to people and these are the consequences if you do. <clears throat> well, they might want to move to change that next. Who knows on this case? It's been very interesting. We're going to follow it through. Uh, I think all they've done now is just uh, make it a real popular case to to follow. So we'll see where it ends up. All right, man. Let's talk about uh, – you want to talk about Hangout Fest next? So uh, the so the city of Gulf Shores, after uh, several – citizens have come forward just raising holy hell about this drug fest they having down at the beach and don't get me wrong i usually pick up several clients from from the hangout fest <laughs> um like literally it's, it's it's good times for me and uh you know the the majority of them uh plea most of them are kids come down here they they don't you know the hell they think they're coming to alabama where we don't have shoes and uh certainly don't think understand that they're under surveillance from the time they get out of their vehicle to the time they get back in it and go back over that bridge. Uh, plus that's probably about the most high profile intersection, uh, down there. And in, uh, 2019, um, a lot of the participants put on quite a show, uh, urinating in people's yards, uh, one particular, I don't think we have the picture, but one particular uh, incident where four or five girls are walking down the street and all have, um, uh, what do you call them, butt flossers? <laughs> ass, String. ass floss. Yeah, ass floss. Uh, um, and, and let me say this. It's kind of like that Seinfeld episode where he talked about good naked and bad naked. Yeah. Like, there's some women that can pull this off. These young ladies made a terrible fashion decision that day. Oh. And I'm and, and it was cottage cheese covered in tattoos. And in a, it was like shallow how this, you know, this thong would have been this damn big. 
<laughs> anyway, go ahead, Paul. Uh, well, what they're what they're proposing this year is to come up with ambassadors that uh, would roam the area. They would not be uh, police officers, but uh, they would be ambassadors that would try to stop this type of behavior uh, anywhere around the venue. And um, this the venue is on like about four point six eight acres of land, which is quite large. So. Uh, you know, when you've got thousands of people down there at one time, and I don't know uh, personally uh, what they thought was going to happen, that everybody's going to show up in a suit or something, but uh, you're you're doing a music festival. So, you know, there's going to be drinking and drugs. That comes along with it. But if they don't get the 2021 in order, uh, the mayor is saying that uh, they may not see 2021. So we'll just see what happens. It is, by the way, completely sold out. I got my tickets. Yep. May 14th to May 17th. That was a joke. I don't have tickets. <laughs> You'll just get to my clients. Let's talk about the, the last slave ship that came into the United States that we know of. Um, are you familiar with the story of the Clotilda? Yes. All right. That's uh, one that uh, Ben Rains helped find. That's right. And, of course, being a little private sleuth myself, I've looked for it several times. Um, you know, when we're up there hunting, when you duck hunt, you have time on your hands afterwards. You usually put a trot line out or something to keep the damn kids busy so they don't burn your camp down. Um, but yeah, so that, that was one of the things we do go over to the Indian mounds and show them where those are. And then we go look for the Clotilda if the, if the water was low. And so apparently they think this, this is going to be like some huge, uh, tourist attraction. Uh, yeah, that's, they are, they're quite excited about it. Uh, they're saying that it could bring in potentially as much as, uh, a million people. I mean, I, I don't know that that seems pretty ambitious, but uh, the leaders in the community over there, that um, the CEO, uh, David Clark, uh, he's the one that's coming up with some of these um, uh, statistics. But, you know, tourism is one of the easiest ways of making money because you have the infrastructure in place or the infrastructure is bringing the people in the Clotilda just had a, uh, I think that was national geographic, uh, portion. They did a portion on it too. The, the one thing that I hate to see on this is that I know that Ben Raines played a integral part in finding it. And this particular article here by Dale leash, uh, leaders hope Clotilda will bring tourists to Africa town uh, doesn't even mention him. Um, so cultural tourism, cultural tourism, it. right? And right. there's the Legacy Museum in Montgomery, the Pettus Bridge in Selma, some other historical civil rights sites, and 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 historically African American focused uh, historical sites. Well, they think that the site alone would bring in around two hundred and fifty thousand quarter million people to Africa Town. Uh, which really could use the cultural tourism would help in that area. And uh, it is something that uh, people should understand what our history is. And so for next time, we're going to get an aerial photo of the Delta and show show you exactly where it is. Now, 
are they going to try to dig this thing up out of the sand, out of the mud, and uh, preserve it somewhere? Or are they just going people going to ride by and look at it until it gets covered up with high water again? Oh uh, well, they and it, the river's coming up again. By yeah, the way. it's not. Uh, <laughs> it isn't mentioned in this article. They're going to have a portion of it or whatever, but I would imagine that they're going to have some sort of display, uh, even if they have to build it from scratch. So on Sunday, Gulf Quest, Gulf Quest National Maritime Museum of the uh, Gulf of Mexico hosted a panel discussion on the Clotilda called Wade in the Water. The panel featured Davis, who serves as the moderator, uh, Natalie Robertson, Ph.D., author of The Slave Ship Clotilda in the Making of Africatown, USA, Liz Smith Eisner of the Africatown Connections Blueprint Project, and Ann Chen, director of the Middle Passage Ceremonies and Port Makers Project. That's a mouthful. Right. So they've had a panel discussion. They got all their experts together. Everybody agrees that this is a bona fide find, and uh, we're going to make it a tourist attraction so people can go enjoy it, see it. A lot of history. All right, Paul, keep going with some land app stuff. Give it. Uh, well, let's see. The one thing that I thought was uh, interesting is that on the letters to the editor, uh, research versus rumor, is it safe to swim in the bay? And this is from Valerie Longa, Eco Solutions, Inc., and Daphne. Uh, she goes on to pretty much say that statistics say that fishing and, uh, fishing and swimming in the bay is uh, safe. Uh, now, <laughs> I beg to differ at... Uh, I know for a fact that uh, at the Fairhope Beach, if you get a lot of rain, that the fecal matter and uh, that they'll close the beach. And there's several locations along the shoreline that are like that. And I've heard from nurses at the uh, uh, Thomas Hospital that quite often that they treat people for infections that they got in the bay. Now, if you go swimming, you don't have any cuts on you or anything like that. Maybe maybe you won't have any problems, but if you have, dude, my any... brother in law almost died. We were we pulled a gill net and he got finned in the hand by a mullet. Mm-hmm. And next, like twenty four hours later, he was had a IV in him. And uh, anyway, it was bad. Well, you should have extreme caution if you're going to go into the bay and you have any cuts. It's or about anything. about five years ago. I had a client come to me, and it was, I think it was a divorce or something. We got to talking about fishing, and I got told him I had a kayak and all this. And he said, well, man, there." he said, do you know where that little bridge is down here in Daphne, right to this side of the interstate? And I said, yeah. And, of course, my office is within half a mile of there. And he said, well, you need to get in your kayak down there. You're going to have to park at the in the parking lot at the, at the hotel there at the Hampton Inn and put your kayak in. He said, but... The further you get up in there, the bigger bass you'll catch. So I bit and put my kayak in and went up there. And the further I got up towards the backside of that mall, the more I smelled chlorine. Uh huh. And I was like, good God. So finally I got up there and I figured out that the sewage effluent outfall was right there. So anyway, when I get home, I take my bathing suit off. It's so it's a sit on top kayak. And when you slow down, it fills up with a little bit of water in the bottom it bleached the back half of my green bathing suit oh man that's maybe why we see those white alligators i don't think so (laughs) and this is the place where what it's the last 
Uh, Gray digger crawfish is in that little swamp right there. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just, it's shameful what Daphne Utilities does to this body of water. Well, and now, they, and talking, they've got plenty uh, of money. Well, talking about the, that, uh, Loxley secured $10 million for sewer enhancements. That's written by John Mullen. All right, so let's water. talk about that for a second. If, you, right. if you're talking about the top of the triangle, right? Right. Um, Loxley... And their and all their sewage infrastructure is south of I ten. Mm-hmm. Even though two thirds of the town is north, or the area that's been annexed by them, all the way up to Stapleton, uh, to, to where the water tower is there in Stapleton, right? Right. So, Baldwin County Sewer Service is providing sewer on the north end and back towards Spanish Fort. So I guess these improvements could be made to extend sewer up to the up to the triangle, or is this just for sewer improvements to their existing system, and they're gonna just let Baldwin County Sewer Service have everything north of I ten, and this is just for to upgrade their current facilities? Uh, it's uh, it's been about twelve years since the original plant has been built, and they needed to do these. Uh, Upgrades. Is it a tertiary binary? Does it say? Uh, no. How many times? It's do they rated tr- for seven hundred fifty thousand gallons a day. I'm just wondering if they're treating with UV or chemicals only. Or uh, most of them do all of it now. Yeah, right. Treat it right. three times. But yeah, that's ten million bucks. That yeah. ain't bad. That's a start. Well, you see that, then you see Fairhope and uh, using their their funds for uh, some of the. Um, Funds from the uh, BP spill, uh, they're in the first or second bucket of funds there, and they're putting a lot of money into uh, the sewer system and redoing it. In fact, they have roads blocked off, and it's obvious you can see them working in different areas. So at least the sewers are beginning to get uh, a lot of attention. What would help be helpful, though, is if uh, there were sewer regulations within the county. And I don't know what it's going to take to get them, but uh, they're putting themselves in a dangerous position. Have you heard? Have them. you heard anything that anybody was going to sponsor any legislation? Because I sure nope. haven't. Nope. Nope. Deaf they, ears. Nobody wants to talk about it. You know. Right. Right. I don't get it. So, uh, hey, can you throw up a picture of the congressional candidates for me, please, sir? So let's talk about this, Paul. All right. You've been. You've been beating up on Hightower, who is the Catalyst candidate. Uh, he's the Catalyst candidate. Do not vote for the Catalyst candidate, people. So it's not it is not good for you. So Chris Pringle seems to have a pretty good following over from Mobile County, right? And he's raised a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Carl's raised a lot of money, and he's just shy of a million bucks. Right at it. And then uh, John Castorani. Right. Who is, uh, he? was he a retired Army intelligence officer? And he's financing his own campaign. And he's like loaned himself 15 grand or something? Uh, Right, but I think he's putting in a lot more than that now recently. And then you have Wes Lambert. And then Wes. Correct, correct. I think. And uh, and Wes is a political novice also, isn't he? Doesn't he own several restaurants? Correct, correct. I think that. from what I'm seeing, uh, Jerry Carl uh, appears to be the more popular candidate. He's uh, very well known over in uh, Mobile. He's the one that uh, stood up on the MPO in Mobile, uh, first off on the toll, and uh, helped quite a bit with getting that toll project uh, 
killed. And he's been roaming around over here in Baldwin County a good bit, letting people know who he is. But uh, I went to I went to breakfast with him Saturday before last, mm-hmm. and I put him on the spot. He did well. Yeah. Well, I, t- I most I, people I, crumble. I I met with him as well, and one of the uh, major issues that he and I talked about was uh, uh, his sons in the Marine Corps got out and was having uh, some medical issues and. He was talking to me about the difficulty in uh, uh, Veterans Affairs, and I told him that I have a Veterans Affairs case that dates 52 years, and I'm still dealing with the state of Alabama Veterans Affairs, trying to get that straight. So, you know, a lot of people look at Veterans Affairs and they think, oh, well, they're talking about medical. Well, there's several issues but one is medical your medical treatment and your medical care but others is claims uh claims and adjustments and compensation and this is what uh, really hurts a lot of veterans is that they don't they're not able to get their claims and compensation filed and you just get into an absolute absolutely bureaucratic nightmare of paperwork but uh and in my case, in my case, I eventually uh, hired an attorney to go at it. So I, I like what Carl is thinking about the VA thing, and that I know that uh, Mr. Burns' office dropped the ball on it. And, and uh, who, who uh, 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 Joe Bonner, Joe Bonner was before Bradley Byrne, and Joe Bonner's uh, Veterans Affairs were excellent. I mean, you write him a letter, and he'd have that he'd have you an answer before the ink dried. So Veterans Affairs is what I'd be pushing. So I'm kind of liking Jerry Carl at this time. So let's talk about some political intrigue on the national level that's going to affect us us here at home. It's my understanding that President Trump has decided to uh, divert monies that were uh, appropriated for military spending to his border wall project, which, of course... I'm in favor of a border wall, but some of the money is coming out of the uh, uh, preparations to build ships here at Austell and Mobile. Right. And ha- have you heard anybody come out and just say, screaming bloody murder, oh, hell no, you don't? I haven't heard that. Uh, I hadn't heard that either, and uh, I'm not going to say what I want to say. <laughs> I don't want to get in. There's the, a first time for everything. Yeah, I don't want to get into the border wall conversation. All right. Yet. So um, let's talk uh, about your complaint and uh, related to Parker Road. So so oh. Paul's going to the VA and he st- sticks some stuff in my mailbox and says, "Would you mind delivering this for me?" Well, hell, I had to go four different places. No problem, Paul. No problem. I, I enjoyed seeing all those people. In well, this is a complaint that, that I'm filing with the city, Aldot, and the uh, and the county. And it involves, it involves Parker Road at Highway 98 in Fairhope. And it really involves every single person that goes through that intersection. It is becoming backed up more and more. It is extremely dangerous. Uh, Pay attention when you go through there. Um, the the backstory to the whole thing hey, is one second. Go ahead. This is just this side of Fly Creek. Uh, on the north side of Fly Creek, it is the uh, public shopping center. That's correct. Right, and That's behind correct. Publix, they approved 
the Cordy's project, which is a bunch of apartments. Oh, correct. Well, now there's... and then on the other side of the road, they're doing this this new development that that, that you're saying is going to impact the road as well. Right. Right. Well, the road, Parker Road, on the public side is only about 500 feet long from the um, from the traffic light at Parker all the way up to where the fire station. It's only 500 feet. Now, originally, there was only 15 residences coming in there. So then they put in the, the um, Publix, which... At the time that they put the Publix in, there were several people that tried to discourage them from putting it in there. It's in a watershed. It's right above the Fly Creek. But this was a good old boy deal between the property owner, Angelo Cordy, and the mayor of Fairhope. They had hundreds of people come to many, many meetings, and the city council rammed it through. So now here, here's where we are now. Now it went from 15 residences to... 240 apartments have been approved, 77 townhomes, and now another project of 45 townhomes. That is 352 units are going to be on a 500-foot street. Now, the problem is that the road itself is in the county. The impact to the road is all being caused by the city. See, the tax man is going to help you out. When they do away with this PJ foolishness, mm-hmm. you'll have one one person to bitch to. It'll be the county. Well, the county, originally what, what should have happened was the county should have uh, put that road over and given it to the city of Fairhope and told them to take care of it. Uh, but That would know, have made sense, but uh, we were preoccupied with what? Doing away with all regulation whatsoever related to development. Correct. That was the plan for 2010 to 2018 County Commission. Right. They weren't worried about doing the work of the people. And the people that attended the meetings, they listened to Mr. Cordy talk about the trees, the green screens, the luxury shopping center. He explained how Parker Road would become a boulevard with landscaping in the Middle Island. We listened to planning and zoning and explained how it was going to be a village. Located in a wonder of trees, the residences would be upscale with some townhomes, but would be owner-occupied, Corey said. And Lord, no, we would never build apartments. The Fairhope Environmental Committee and some of the county engineers discouraged the development so close to the Fly Creek watershed, but they went right along with uh, doing it. And now they went from the townhomes which, I mean, the the townhomes that were originally planned, uh, then they have the apartments, the Lord know apartments, that are now being built. And so you have the, and if you, the, the irony is that if you go to the apartments, the Lord know apartments, and you look at the clubhouse and some of the apartments, they are looking at the rear of the publics. So they're trying to tell us this is a village, when it's nothing but a strip center with an anchor grocery store and apartments built behind it. This is the same thing they did back in the 1970s. There's nothing different. But it is going to be one hell of a project, I mean, problem. Well, it's the, when, ga- it's the Galleria model. Yeah, the like Galleria model. they have model. in Hoover. You, know, uh, you, build, you build a big mall, and then you put a bunch of apartments and crap around. Right, and you never see apartments built that they don't tell you they're 
luxury apartments, right? They don't build anything but luxury apartments. You can imagine how many... A luxury luxury apartment where you can have no more than five pit bulls. Well, uh, these are going to be pretty expensive if if you want to look at luxury. I think a three-bedroom, two-bath, it can be as much as $2,000 in a... uh, Single bedroom, I think, was well. That like ain't 11. no big deal. They go selling their house in Michigan for five hundred grand. Move down here, they can afford that. Well, one of the things in uh, selling the the project, uh, it was said that these apartments would behoove the uh, firemen and policemen that live in the area would now have nice apartments that they could move in. Firemen and policemen are not going to pay that for an apartment, I'll tell you, but. Nevertheless, what I'm trying to do is to get one of the three or whoever is responsible to uh, accept the fact that 352 units uh, being built back there on this shortest street and no mitigation to the street whatsoever is is going to cause a, a lot of problems. And you can imagine how many people are, all these people are going to be coming out at Parker Road or the entrance to public, which is only about 100 feet south of that. And um, you, you're going to see, you're going to feel it within the next six to eight months, you're going to see traffic on that intersection get worse and worse. Aldot's been out there. Right. That's what I was going to say. Aldot, if, you're, if, you, if you've been up and down 98 recently, that intersection was a total damn disaster for about three months because they put a uh, – divided left turn lane for parker road and for the development i i assume uh well no the the turn lanes uh were for the park for uh parker road going uh coming both both ways you're right but what we've heard from some police correct but what we've heard from police officers is that uh that's even caused uh, uh further problems because if you come out on 98 uh it's a right in, right out. So if you come out what is supposed to be uh, the other entrance, you can only turn right. So you have to go up to Parker Road to make a U-turn or you cut through the parking lot, go to Parker Road, and then that's the only way you can turn left. So I don't know what the Publix is thinking, but as soon as they open it, you're going to see them cutting through the parking lot of Publix and it's going to get extremely congested at that intersection. So, you know, when I look at something like this, uh, how in the world can you call it planning when you put 352 units on a 500-foot street and you don't even repave the street? So we'll see where it goes. Damn. Did, I, hope did it I... doesn't go to, I hope it doesn't go to a lawsuit. You know, there's been four lawsuits. <laughs> Dang it. I thought I put well, Boss Harry, Hog on here. <laughs> no, no Boss Hog. Sorry. Well, Sounds a little Boss Hoggish to me. Yeah. Well, there's four lawsuits that have already been uh, involving this project. So we'll see where it goes. You're, it's still on you, Paul. So you found an article from about four or five years ago that was in the Yellowhammer News, and it claimed... What about corruption in Alabama? Well, it claimed years ago, this article. I, I don't have an exact Don't date say on years that. ago, like four years ago, maybe. Four Just years the context ago. clues of the people they're talking about tells me it's within the last three or four years. Right. This is Daniel J. Smith. He's an associate uh, director at the Johnson Center, Troy University. And uh, I was going to follow up with him on this, too. But 
uh, he writes that corruption is at the highest level of all three branches of Alabama government. Uh, and it's not making just national, it's not making our news as much as it is international news. Uh, one can only imagine what this corruption has cost in the state in terms of economic growth and development. Expanding and maintaining public accountability and transparency is necessary to curb Alabama's culture of corruption and to help promote economic prosperity. Corruption in Alabama politics not only makes Alabama less attractive for business investment, meaning less job growth and opportunity, it actually costs. And they have an estimate in um, the residents in nine of the ten most corrupt states, including Alabama, they estimated at that time that $1,308 was paid by taxpayers uh, or lost to taxpayers because of the uh, corruption. Oh, whoa, whoa. You got to repeat that. How much money per year per person? $1,308. And I say that is extremely low. And I would think just in the city of Fairhope, those people are losing. I don't even know how many thousands of dollars for the corruption that exists there. And, and you have to realize, too, that even the perception of corruption causes real damage to the, uh, to the business environment. Um, we've been harping on this forever. You know, we keep saying that, uh, we make these complaints to different agencies, be it the ethics commission, attorney general, bar association, judiciary, you don't get anything back. Nobody's, nobody's trying to, um, do anything. And so the, what needs to happen is they need to be concentrating resources on reducing corruption at a state level. Uh, is will produce business growth and economic incentives. Um, let's see. The oh, and then then here, one of the things that's mentioned in this corruption article uh, for public officials, and we were just talking about this with Judge Stankowski and Norton and all of that, is that there has to be stricter enforcement of conflict of interest laws. Because the conflict of interest, uh, that is just completely overlooked by a lot of politicians. Uh, you know, this is, you know, we have several members of the Fairhope City Council that they, I don't think they even know what conflict of interest means, or they're not willing to acknowledge it anyway. All right, let's switch gears. Let's do the cover story. Gateway to the Delta, Spanish Fort awarded first grant for ambitious causeway pedestrian plan. Mm-hmm. You read up on all this? I did not. <laughs> this one's on you. Oh, really? <clears throat> so in November, Governor K. Ivey said the 16 Coastal Alabama projects will share $28 million in Go Mesa money. Uh, $7.5 million grant for a new boat launch at the Intercoastal Waterway, $4.4 million for uh, Mobile County to acquire 146 acres of waterfront property, uh, $2.5 million awarded to the city of Spanish Fort, um, a community of roughly 25,000 commuters who choose to take the causeway rather than the bayway every day. Uh, they'll use $600,000 of this grant to purchase the former Hudson Oil site at the foot of the Tensor River Bridge for ADC&R, and the rest will be used to reinforce bulkheads. Um, and then, of course, they're going to do a pedestrian plan and put bike paths and sidewalks and that kind of thing. It's a beautiful route. Um, 
do you remember uh for and for some reason Spanish Fort decided they wanted to buy their their water not from anybody on this side of the bay but they're going to buy their water from somebody on the other side of the bay. Mm-hmm. So they went down here and they started digging to put the water line in, right? Yeah. So guess what they found? What? About half. So, you know, most of this causeway is fill. Right. They So guess what they used for fill? Anything they could, probably. Cotton. Cotton? They're oh. out there digging up bales of cotton. Huh. And uh, really, if you wanted to do something good for Mobile Bay, you would dig up the damn causeway and let it drain naturally like as it used to. Uh-huh. But instead, we're going to keep building on this terrible idea that we had 100 years ago and um, put a bike path on it. What, yeah. Which, you know, people got to get to work. I get it. And uh, it'd be really, it wouldn't be cost effective to go in and dig up those places that were filled. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a I know a home in uh, Fairhope that uh, they were digging up the foundation, and so they dug up the they located the old septic tank, and the septic tank was made out of wine bottles, hundreds of wine bottles, and then they just mixed clay in with it as a kind of a filter thing. But uh, the whole septic tank was nothing but bottles. I thought that That's was cool. pretty pretty cool. The mother of all invention, inventions, right? Necessity. All right, so let's uh, let's switch gears and talk about the triangle in Fairhope. Do you have an image for us, Nick? There we go. So there are two separate properties, um, and see, all I knew about was the triangle. Right. I didn't know. I, I didn't realize the city owned that property. Um, on the north side of uh, what road is that right there? Is that Section Street? That's that section north that's, section. Uh, correct. And so on the other side, going towards Montrose, they own that parcel also. That's seventy two acres there, and then the triangle itself is uh, thirty six acres. So, what are they planning on doing with it, Paul? Didn't you get? Didn't you go to a little? Well. <laughs> Uh, would you call it a clandestine meeting? I know nobody uh, expected you to show up. Well, first of all, those of uh, people need to know that the RIP report originated in Fairhope. Okay, so a lot of times we're reporting on Fairhope news because we know more about it than we do any any of the other municipalities. This this case went on for almost three decades. Uh, and it ended up with the city having to purchase the property for about $8.25 million. And that's that's a figure the council will always use. You'll hear them say $8.25 million. And then you say, well, what about the $3 million for, um, you know, legal fees? And uh, Council President Burrell said, well, that's kind of water under the bridge. Well, let me tell you. Three million water under the bridge. I wish that was my damn bridge. That's right. You got to add that back to the eight point two five. So we end up with about $12, 12, 13 million. We're still paying on the property, uh, but the efforts to tie up this property uh, still continues. Now it is designated as park land. All right. So let's back up. All right. So the Dice family owned this property. They wanted to develop it years ago. The city threw up certain restrictions. The dice clan crowd foul. They sued the city, saying it was basically a, a taking by placing these restrictions on the property. They couldn't do what they wanted to with it, and it was a taking. 
Eventually, the city, the city settled the lawsuit by buying the property from them. Right. At one time, they were talking about putting the publics there, and that was a straw that broke the camel's back when they didn't allow them to put the publics there, told them they didn't. Right. So, and so then it moved across the street with uh, Mr. Cordy. Okay. So let's stick with the triangle, though. All right. The concept that they have is... So the city owns it, the city zones it, the city absolutely controls it, and they and, can do whatever they want to with it. And it's Why a park. in the hell would they put it under a conservation easement which would restrict future councils and, and mayor? And here comes the backstory. I mean, we couldn't have a better name for this show than the backstory, I tell you. Because this triangle conservancy that's what they're uh wanting to do the triangle conservancy one of the main characters involved in the triangle conservancy is the former mayor who was totally responsible for the three million in lawsuits and all of the debacle of for three generations of putting this thing uh to bed so now they want to come back and they're saying that the triangle conservancy will take the land and forever will control it overlook it and the city doesn't have to do anything well the city's going to have to give up 15 million dollars worth of land or well valued could be as high as 20 million it's already parkland why would we allow a third party this is just another attempt well i got a i got a grand idea for Fairhope. Well, go that? hire one of the big five planning firms there's a really good one in atlanta called tenel spangler walsh mm-hmm. let them master plan this thing abandon that damn uh city hall and all that stuff downtown tear it down sell it as a vacant lot it'd be a lot more useful for commercial purposes go out here on this on this triangle and build you an entrance to your city and use a new uh city hall and civic center uh, a new beautiful building to be the entrance to your town actually that's not a bad job plan at all because the uh, city hall they have is very very outdated the damn They're roof's good. about to fall i mean are they yeah. get, so it, are, is it safe enough to hold uh, the double O double M, uh, the Order of Mystic Magnolias ball in? I mean, or if it's if it's uh, heavy rain, do we have to worry about the roof coming down on people? Well, it needs a, it needs a new roof. But to, to get back to the Triangle Conservancy, this is just another method of trying to halter this piece of property. It's bizarre how long it's taken, but. Regardless of what they do, uh, the and, and and again, Council President Burrell, one of his reasons for wanting to do this is because, believe it or not, this is what he said, because you cannot trust the politicians in the future to do the right thing. Now, he's the one determining what the right thing is, and he's a politician. And he's talking about elected officials not having the capability in the future of knowing what's going on, that they know more than anyone else. So my suggestion is that this has been such a controversial um, subject that nothing should be done with this property other than what is being done. And if if it does gain legs enough to where they want a conservancy there, which I pray to God they don't, then that should be a referendum of the city. The individuals in the city and the voters need to know the backstory of what went on, how much it's costing them, and what is proposed. And it should be a referendum. We've got a 2020 election. They could simply put it on that 
referendum and uh, put a referendum at that time to do that. All right, Harry, what you got next? Well, oh well. Uh, also, also, let me mention that they did settle the um, uh, the lawsuit. One of the uh, former employees was suing the mayor for uh, shaking her. Uh, this was one of three women that uh, were working at Fairhope when uh, the new mayor took over. And personally, I think she should have fired all three the first day, but she wanted to give them a chance and to see if everything could work out. Ended up that they were doing nothing but trying to sabotage her. And uh, they ended up, all three of them, uh, losing their jobs and positions. Um, but um, the last last case has been solved, so that's all been put to bed now. So next thing up is the 2020 election, and don't be surprised if you don't see one of the three Amigas running for office. <laughs> so are we talking about the public works director thing? Correct. The termination? Correct. Correct. And this is the one where there was supposedly, it's like the old Chris Rock edict. I wouldn't hit a woman, but I'd shake her. Yeah, right. It was, the accusation was the mayor got this woman and said, do your job. Right, do your job. Her. Or They said it was a violent shaking. Uh <laughs> so I don't know what a violent shaking is, but it sounds I'll sh- like I'll they, show you when the camera's off. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> so, but it's it's settled and uh, put to bed, thank God. All right, so I went and picked up this book, uh, the Five Dollars a Scout book that I recommend you read. This book was also written by Charles Bryant, EDD uh, professor of history at the University of South Alabama. And it's called the Tensaw Country, north of the Ellicott Line. And the Ellicott Line is the 31st parallel. If you're familiar with the the divide between uh, Florida and Alabama as it comes across uh, the portion of the state, and when it gets to Bowen County, uh, it no longer is the state line. Um, anyway, the 31st parallel Ellicott Line. So all of these tabs are one of my great-great-grandparents. And so uh, while we were talking about, uh, you know, how I'm against gambling and everything to do with the Porch Creek Indians, I I just want to let you know how close I came to hitting the damn jackpot. So my grandmother was a lady named Virginia Mary Stedham, and she married Oscar Walter Bryan of Stockton. He was a CSA veteran, mason and progressive farmer with vast holdings. He built a home in 1860 that still stands today. It's occupied by his granddaughter. Um, a lot of kids go up to Stockton and tour this house. It's still got a, the milk barn and all that hmm. uh, separate kitchen and, and that kind of thing. And uh, anyway, it goes through who all her uh, children are. Now, so let's talk about her brother. John Victor Stedham, 1830 to uh, 1909, this is an individual that almost everyone can claim as their type hero. I certainly do. He was a type of maverick, but he stayed with his convictions. He was a Mason and a Confederate veteran. He was highly respected and became a very wealthy person. According to family tradition, he wanted to marry Mary Virginia McGee. The problem was that she was the daughter of Lynn and Hattie McGee, a former chief among the Cretes who had personally saved the life of Andrew Jackson and was rewarded with 640 acres in Escambia County. Wow. So so guess what's on that 640 acres now? What? The damn Porch Creek Indian Casino. (laughs) So anyway, Edward Stedham perhaps still had vivid memories of his encounters with the Red Sticks at Wearpaw. 
Fort Mims, you drink out of the coffee right. cup all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, for he strongly opposed his son marrying a Porch Creek Indian and promised disinheritance if he did. He did, and he did. <laughs> their marriage, uh, their marriages are interesting. They first married in Native American Creek ceremony, but this was not recognized as legal in the state. Then they were married in the Civil Union in 1869 in Pensacola after their sixth child was born. Descendants declare this, cer- declare this ceremony to qualify uh, him for entrance into the Masonic Lodge. They were reported to have been married also in a church by a minister, and all their children were born in Jack Springs County, Alabama. So so here's the funny part about it. So Granddaddy Stedham, who actually was one of the survivors of Fort Mims, right? Mm-hmm. Guess who he was married to? Uh-uh. For him to be such a bigot and not want them to marry a Porch Creek Indian, his wife was a McBreed Creek. <laughs> so well, when you go through this book, I have more Porch Creek Indian in me because of all these com- combined half breeds that are in my family. So well, so you could start a casino. I, I'm thinking about it. I mean, hell, I, this is this is going to turn into a hell of a resource for me. You know, speaking about the uh, casino, talking with a couple a couple of lobbyists in um, Montgomery, and. They're telling me that the uh, legislature up there is almost giddy about this one billion dollar uh, offer from the Porch Creek Indians on the. We got to go. Years. We're going to go to Montgomery one day, and we're going to take one of these cameras, or at least a cell phone, and, mm-hmm. and shoot some raw video so you guys can see how this, how your government functions. It is really. But you know, it makes it, me it, want to move to Belize, Paul. Well, well, the only thing, the only thing that that really gripes me is that we're surrounded by states that have lotteries they're talking about oh well we're going to study it you what is there to study all you have to do is go to any one of the three states and say okay let me see how you set it up and how you did it and let's duplicate duplicate that and go for it um but uh we'll have to just see how it it ends up you know they spend a lot of time on ridiculous legislation uh that doesn't really hit the uh prime things that they should be in the state and that's why we're last that's why the corruption is so bad and uh until they uh until they address the public corruption political corruption until they address that we're not going to get any further i can tell you and and why would you want to move your business to a place where you were going to have to grease the skids to get a business license or um you know Make sure that your slab passes, passes inspection, or I mean, you know, there there are many different levels. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the top, but when the top's corrupt, the it, it can go all the way to the bottom. Correct, and and remember the report we read a while ago said that just which is perfectly obvious that just the perception of corruption slows down economic development so you know a lot of people say economic development economic development uh-uh you get rid of corruption and you will be increasing economic development much more so than just by throwing money at it speaker of the house mike hubbard is still out of jail and they've made the decision that they're not going to hear the supreme court's not going to make a decision until after the uh well it might be after the election, but it's certainly going to be after the Republican primary. Now, why Why would what? that have anything? That's what I read. It's on AL.com. What? Yes. 
Um, go check what, out my. What does that have to do? My God. So go check out if you if you guys want to stay up on stuff. I share a lot of things on Twitter, and my handle is at Backwoods South Two. I know it was supposed to be Backwoods Southern Lawyer, but it was too damn long. So it auto filled at Backwoods South Two, um, and I I share a lot of things that we don't necessarily don't let don't necessarily make it onto the air, um, but you might find interesting and you might want to go check it out. Um, Paul, back to your medical marijuana foolishness. Um, did you know that the Los Angeles County district attorney this week dismissed 66,000 marijuana related cases? Right. Right. Expunge your records, uh, as well. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for us today. We hope you liked our movie magic with our uh, green screen and new studio. Uh, anything you'd like to say before we sign off, Paul? Well, this is our 22nd uh, podcast. This is our first one in our new studio. We're still shaking things down, and we're hoping to get a little bit more proficient. Uh, we're still encouraging you to participate by sending us any uh uh, leads that you might have, uh, particularly thing that I look at is corruption. Uh, even if we don't get the state to do anything about it, we're just going to keep talking about it and exposing those who are involved. So stay tuned. Uh, read the RIP Report or Baldwin County Legal Legal. Both those are on Facebook. Backstory Podcast is on Facebook. And uh, follow us and uh, give us your suggestions. SoundCloud, YouTube, right. Facebook. And um, this knife was made by a maker in Baymanette, Alabama, M.L. Chatham. And uh, that's made out of a file, Paul. Check that I out. I know. I've been watching that uh, Forge. Don't, don't cut my damn hand off on live. Watching the Forge show, and uh, I see. When uh, I say that thing is sharp, don't even look at it. Yeah, you can eat. And half of it, you still see the uh, original file. That's pretty, yeah. that's pretty clever. That is. All right, boys and girls. Y'all have a good weekend, and we will see you next week. Um, our new format is going to be that we are going to try to premiere this thing every Saturday morning. Now, this Saturday, it may be late <laughs> afternoon, but uh, Paul, you don't have coronavirus. Uh, that's what we used to call it, uh, Cinco de Seis. Um, you, you got the Jim Beam flu. Uh, no, I, Valentine's it was, was rough on old Paul. Right, I, I hadn't had a drink in four months, and I fell off the wagon, so <laughs> I'm paying for it dearly. I may not drink again for the rest yeah, of my life. Yeah, this Saturday morning thing is going <laughs> to cut into our lifestyle. So yeah, uh, right. anyway, we're, we're going to try to get things back on track, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted. Keep your eyes on our Facebook page, and we will talk to you later. Be safe. <laughs>